The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me uh, in your Bible or your app to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, And as we do that, I think it's fitting to say that uh, Easter 2020 is one for the record books, no doubt. Uh, I don't think any of us would have guessed on January 1st that we would be gathering digitally to celebrate Jesus rising victoriously from the grave. But here we are. Uh, I want to speak to you guys for a moment about this reality. Uh, I know there are some of you who understand why we aren't gathered physically today, and you wholeheartedly agree with this course of action. Uh, But there may also be some of you who are less certain, or even some of you who think we should have. And where you land on that probably has a lot to do with what information sources you've been exposed to. Maybe even has something to do with your personality type. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, what does love look like in this season? I can assure you of this. The leaders of Love City Church, we miss gathering physically as much as anybody. Uh, if, If you think worshiping and studying God's word in your living room is hard, uh, try leading that worship or preaching that word to an empty room. Uh, It's not what I think anybody would call their first choice. However, regardless of what Billy Bob on Facebook says, the risk of gathering everyone together right now outweighs the reward. Uh, The church functions best as an active participant in the life of the community around her. And so we are joining in with everyone else in our state, and we're suffering the inconvenience of social distancing to protect those who could get sick and lose their lives, potentially due to COVID-19. And in case you haven't seen it, uh, the actual data coming out of the field, it's, it's less simple than many are making it out to be. It's easy to reduce things down to a meme, uh, but it's very hard to be accurate when you do that. Uh, it is true that, and this is true with any respiratory illness, the elderly and the immunocompromised are at greater risk, but there are healthy young people dying as well. Not many, but it's happening and, and we don't know why yet. Furthermore, the elderly and the immunocompromised, they're just as important as any other human life. So even if it was only that population at risk, we still should be doing everything we can to protect them. Another major consideration here is helping healthcare workers and others on the front lines of this pandemic to not be overwhelmed as they are working on treating people. Not bringing everyone together in the same room right now is a real way that we can support their efforts. This is not about whether each of us are scared of getting sick or not. That's not really the point. This is about the reality that our decisions and actions have a ripple effect out into the world around us. And friends, this has always been true. It's just easier to see 
in the midst of this situation. For now, nobody has asked us to stop worshiping Jesus or preaching his gospel, and they've not tried to permanently ban us from gathering physically. And so long as that is the case, we're going to work with the government and the rest of society to help slow the spread of the virus. And and though this is not ideal, I genuinely thank God that we can gather like this. It's better than nothing, for sure. And as we study the scriptures today, I think there'll be even more help for us to look at this whole situation through the eyes of faith, hope, and love. So with that, let's read God's word together. Uh, Matthew 28 is where I ask you to go, and we're going to read the entirety of that chapter. And that is basically all of Matthew's resurrection account. Uh, It's just 20 verses, so not too long. Uh, And this will serve as home base for us as we seek to offer some good news on this historic Easter Sunday. Matthew 28, I'm going to start in verse 1. Here we go. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and there they will see me. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they'd assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Praise God for his word. Amen. Now that is some really good news right there. It is in fact the best news that any human ear will ever hear. And yet the resurrection of Jesus, like most other good news, doesn't tend to impact the human heart as it should without the contrast of the bad news that it replaces. What I just read you was all of Matthew 28. Let me read you the last verse of Matthew 27. It says this, And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. 
See, here's the thing. Had the bad news that Jesus suffered and died upon the cross three days earlier not been a reality, then the good news of his resurrection wouldn't have meant much at all. And to push that idea even further, without his death, his resurrection would not have even been possible. And the importance of this cannot be exaggerated because his resurrection is a non-replaceable facet of God's plan to redeem and save people from the fair wage of eternal death that our sin has earned for us. The question then is, shouldn't this inform the way we process struggles and difficulty in this life? Shouldn't this teach us as the prime example in all of history that God in his infinite sovereignty works through hard things to accomplish his perfect will. It should, it should instruct us. It should teach us these things. Now to try and illustrate the reality of this principle with some more variety and vibrancy, I'm going to take us through some of the most troubling bad news that we are faced with in this season and contrast it with the good news of God's promises spoken by the mouth of our good master himself. Amen. So the first thing I'm going to look at is the fact that in light of all that's going on, in light of this viral pandemic that we're walking through, there are many speaking of not only current, but forthcoming economic troubles. I'm going to quote from you a former chief economist for a global financial services company. He said this, the economic consequences are going to be surprisingly ugly with us gross domestic product likely to record a double digit annualized decline in the April to June quarter and a recessionary year, pretty much baked in the cake. In addition to that, the U.S. just broke a record at the beginning of April because an additional 6.6 million people filed for unemployment. And it's widely reported that the systems to process these claims are completely overwhelmed. It is quite common to hear the economic realities unfolding around us right now compared to both the Great Recession of 2008 and the Great Depression of the early 1930s. And this is the bad financial news. It's it's being spread 24 hours a day from more sources than we can count. But did Jesus say anything that offers us hope in the midst of so much troubling information? I submit to you that he did. I'm going to read from you Matthew 6. This is verses 25 through 34. It says this, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? 
For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Praise God. What does that say to us? What does that teach us? If we lose our jobs or businesses, either temporary or, or permanently, is it not for our good that in this, we are reminded that those things were never our provider to begin with? Can we be honest? Can we be honest about our tendency to look to the means that God uses to provide for us more than sometimes we look to the provider himself? Isn't it good news that ultimately we are not dependent on things that can be shaken by a pandemic in order to live, but that our King has promised to provide what we need. Hallelujah. I praise God that no matter what the ripple effects are or for how long, here's the thing, Matthew six, those are well-known verses. I read those to you. They're especially pertinent in this time. And I think it's good for us to hear them again and look at them again, fill our hearts and minds with them again. Here's what we need to realize though. Those verses are so well known that what can happen is they they can become kind of cliche to us. Friends, we need to hear the words of Jesus and know with certainty that he was not unaware that 2020 was coming, that 2008 came or that 1930 came. It's not, it's not trite. It's not ignorant to stand upon these verses in great hope that Jesus will be faithful to them in the midst of trouble such as this. It's even more important. And we need to know that sometimes it's trouble such as this that God uses to bring our eyes back to these verses and renew again our faith in how much he can be trusted to be faithful to his promises. Amen. So that's the bad news about financial markets and issues and the economy going forward. We have Jesus giving us some good news that he's been our provider all along and he's not going to stop now. The next piece of bad news is along the lines of what I'm going to call conspiracy theories. Okay. Now I know right off the bat that there are some who would question the wisdom of me acknowledging some of these or mentioning them in a sermon. Okay. And I want you to know that I've thought and prayed about that. And I've come to the conclusion that people are already encountering these ideas. They're already thinking about them. And thus it is very important that we bring the word of God to bear on them. Now, depending on what thought circles you run in, you may have heard all or some or none of these things. But regardless of your personal exposure to them, they are on the minds of many. And what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about things like the fact that there are questions being asked about the origins of COVID-19 and the intentions behind it. There are those who think it's a bioweapon, possibly released by a nation state, or even worse, by global elitists who want to reduce the Earth's population. 
There are some who think that this whole thing is leading to a mandatory vaccine, which could be used as a control mechanism for participating in commerce. This even brings up echoes of the mark of the beast from Revelation 13, which limits the ability of people to buy or sell. Some in a more general sense, they they just, they, they feel like the face value story that we're getting is not the whole story. And there is a lot of precedent throughout history for not trusting the official account. For example, we just read the religious leaders of the day paid soldiers that were guarding the tomb of Jesus to claim that the disciples came and stole the body while they were asleep. Uh, and, And that story circulated widely. That's the official story that a lot of people got. It's not the real story though. Now, there will be a wide range of reactions to all of the things that just came out of my mouth. Okay. I realize that some are going to cheer to hear a pastor uh, mention these things in the pulpit. Some will recoil because all of this sounds like a bunch of tinfoil hat, crazy talk. Some might just be confused because this is the first time they've heard anything like this. And again, regardless of your thoughts on this, There are people hearing and wondering and vexing about these things. And we need to know how to think about it biblically. Here is the bottom line. No matter how crazy some of these theories may sound, I I don't dismiss any of them out of hand. The truth is we can't know for sure what all is going on behind the scenes, but And hear me say this, it is also quite possible that this could just be a novel virus, a result of living in a world cursed by sin, and that the world's governments are doing the best they can to mitigate the damage. It's very possible that what we see at face value is exactly what's going on. It's also possible it's not. But many would say, many would question, well, if... If all this or what's going on, if it's the work of satanic global elitists and, and, and these are the events leading up to the revealing of the Antichrist, shouldn't that change our response? There's two things I want to say to you. The first is this. It very well may be that. But the second thing I want to say is that every generation since the time Jesus walked on this earth has had events happen that seem to fit end times prophecy. And many who have been more sure of their ability to read the times than they should have been, they were more sure than they should have been. They've hurt the credibility of the church and the cause of Christ with their false predictions. We need to be careful. You might say, okay, so what then do we do? If if this is all a coordinated effort by the forces of darkness, that's pretty bad news, right? Well, here's step one. Step one is in our response as followers of Jesus, we need to take a deep breath and trust in God's absolute and total sovereignty. Let me read you part of John's account of Jesus interaction with Pilate leading up to his crucifixion. It says this, so Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me. Pilate's hitting him with some questions. Jesus isn't saying anything. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me 
unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. What does that mean? How does that apply to what we're talking about? Even if the forces of darkness are lining up for their final attempt at fighting against the God who, by the way, answered, I am who I am when asked who he was. If that's what they're doing, they will find in the end that every one of their pitiful plots played right into God's sovereign plan. That's how it's going to go. Step two in our response is that we realize no matter what is going on, it hasn't surprised Jesus or changed our mission as his followers. Let me read you same verses we just read Matthew 28, 18 through 20 again. And Jesus came up and spoke to them the last words of the master before he ascended. Here's what they were keeping in mind that Jesus knew 2020 was coming, that Jesus knew the prophecies of revelation that were going to be laid out by John the revelator. Jesus knew times were going to get wild. This stuff was going to leave us wondering if we can trust the, the accounts were being given of what's going on. Jesus knew all of that. And here's what he said. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. (laughs) Here's the point. Whether the worst case scenario conspiracies are true or the face value story we are getting from the media is exactly what's going on. It doesn't change the church's mission one bit. Not at all. In either scenario, every person on the face of this planet is being shook out of the slumber of our comfortable little day-to-day distractions and routines. And this is possibly the best opportunity we will ever have to point them to the hope and peace and salvation that is found in Jesus Christ alone. That's where our focus needs to be. So what's the bad news? Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff out here that that can leave you wondering. What's the bad news here? Yes, we've been told the forces of darkness are plotting. Does what's going on right now have anything to do with that? I'm not sure. And everybody on social media that is real sure, I wish they'd chill out a little bit. There needs to be a humble acknowledgement that our parents' generation and grandparents' generation and the ones before them, there's been wars and rumors of wars. There's been plagues and epidemics. There's been earthquakes. There's been volcanic eruptions. There's always been things going on. This world is cursed. The scriptures say it's only the father who knows the time when all this is going to wrap up. I think us being shook like this is, is helpful. I think it should point us to assessing how it is we feel about the potential of all of time wrapping up soon. I I feel personally uh, split. I I feel uh, a diversion and, and a bifurcation in my response because on one hand, if all of what we're observing right now, if, if, if the Antichrist is going to be revealed and all the stuff in revelation is about to roll out and, and that means the trumpet's going to blow soon on one hand, 
I'm like, my bag is packed. I'm ready. Let's do this. What are we waiting for? But on the other hand, I think as followers of Jesus, our hearts should be soft towards the reality that when all of time rolls up, that means those who have not come to faith in Christ may lose that opportunity. And so I want to be patient like God is patient, willing that none should perish. And that means every minute we have from now until God says we're done, we should spend intentionally and on this mission that he's given us of making disciples and preaching his gospel. The next piece of of bad news I'm going to give you is that churches are unable to meet physically. And this is really bad news. And the worst part is we don't know for sure when that's going to change. There are projections for as soon as the beginning of May, stretching as late as September in other projections and models. And the possibility of a seasonal resurgence of infections as we go into the winter months has always, it's also been discussed. The truth is we don't know. We don't know when we will be able to safely meet again. And it seems increasingly possible that the government may move from strongly suggesting to mandating by force that we don't. This weekend, for example, the governor of our neighbor state told people that if they gathered for an Easter service, the police would take down license plate numbers and that they would then be served with a mandatory 14-day in-home quarantine order from their local health department. I just want to stop and say this. In case you're wondering, I am fully aware that this is a highly unusual Easter message. But can I also say these are highly unusual times. And a real shepherd isn't just going to pat the sheep on the head and keep telling them everything is okay when there are real issues that need to be addressed. Here's the thing. Gathering together as God's people for worship and studying his word and communion and fellowship is a vital part of how the Bible tells us he wants us to accomplish the mission of loving God, loving people and making disciples. You know, you got people out here posting memes about how the church was never about the building and and technically, listen, they are correct, but what they often fail to realize is that gathering together often has been a normative practice for the church from the book of Acts forward. And that and that's because the apostles who Jesus personally taught and trained helped to establish these rhythms. It isn't about the building, which is a principle woven deep into the DNA of Love City Church. But we do see the followers of Jesus gathering in the temple, for example, right after his ascension for worship and and all through the book of Acts, they're both in the temple and from house to house. Church buildings are simply a tool that facilitate the important point. The important point is that we do not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. This is a part of God's plan. So the fact that this normative biblical practice of gathering physically has been suspended temporarily is something that we can lament. I think we should. I've had many conversations with people who they're they're about done with this. (laughs) They're over it. And I'm with you. 
we can lament this, this temporary separation. And I'm going to say this, if there ever was an attempt in the future to make that permanent, to banning us from gathering together, then we would have to reassess what God would call us to do. But in any case, we can take great comfort in the good news that the church is not just a building or a service or a gathering. And we can take great hope and, 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 and we can celebrate this fact that no power on earth or in hell can stop Christ's plan for his bride. None. Nobody is going to stop what Christ intends for his church. It's not going to happen. I hope you can celebrate and rejoice in that. I am. Let me read you this. Uh, it's an interaction between Jesus and Peter. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Friends, the church is the blood bought spirit filled people of God. And our power does not come from traditions or cultural preferences. Our power comes from the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And that means we have a holy and eternal destiny that cannot be stopped. Amen. Amen. Now, as we've gone through these pieces of bad news in, in our current season, and we've brought an answer and good news from the mouth of Jesus himself. Some may say, okay, well, every one of these bad pieces of news you've answered with the words of Jesus, but why would a rational person give weight to the words of a Jewish carpenter who was murdered by the rulers of his day 2,000 years ago? What, why why are you finding so much comfort? Why are you encouraging other people to find comfort in the words of Jesus with what we're going through right now? And here's my answer to you. It's found in Matthew 28, verse six that we already read. It's four little words. Just as he said, let me read it to you again. He is not here for he is risen just as he said. What? What am I talking about? Friends, this is why Easter is such a big deal. If Jesus didn't rise, we should ignore everything he said. But if he did, just as he said, if he rose from the grave, just like he said he would, then we know not even death and hell itself stand a chance against the glorious might of his hand. And we can trust everything he said. So what does that mean? That means if you belong to him, rejoice today in the peace-filled certainty that comes in trusting Jesus. But if you don't belong to him today, 
you got to ask yourself, why? How? How did the son of a carpenter from a backwater Jewish town 2,000 years ago, not, he had no royalty, he had no earthly power to project or force his message forward. How did he turn the world upside down and become not only the most influential, but the most worshiped person in the history of the world? How does that happen? In the midst of a cultural climate where the, the royalty of the day was worshipped, you already had the pantheon of Greek and Roman gods. There was well-established forms of worship in place. How does this guy, with no reason to have any influence, show up and change everything forever? How does that happen? Well, it's a couple things. It's either because his followers were really good liars, and they were willing to be persecuted and murdered for maintaining that lie, It's either that, or Jesus really did say he would be killed and rise from the dead three days later, and then rise from the dead three days later. Not to mention, by the way, doing inexplainable miracles in front of thousands of witnesses, and and by the way, he taught a way of love and humble service that runs contrary to every natural fiber in our human being. What human would make up this ethic of love that calls us to lay ourselves down in the service of others? To see ourselves as the lowest and to push everyone else into that place of prominence. To race to outdo one another in showing honor. What else in the world works like that? What in the world works like that? Nothing. It takes a supernatural transformation of the heart by the power of the Spirit of God for someone to even be open to the ethic of love that Jesus taught and exemplified. It doesn't make any natural sense. And in light of these things, friend, today, today is the day to stop making this about religion or the failures of men and women who claim to speak for God. Now is the time to take a wide-eyed look at the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and decide what is most reasonable. The claims of Christianity can't be objectively proven or disproven. This will ultimately come down to faith. But it is not the incoherent faith of someone just wanting something to be true. It is a faith that rests upon the witness of the very creation that we inhabit. As some have leveled the accusation, God has not played some cosmic game of hide and seek with us. His fingerprints are clearly seen in cosmology and in biology and in geology. Everywhere we look, we can see his infinite and creative genius in the world he has made. And then on top of that, he sent Jesus to live among us and make crystal clear for us why he made it. It's not just obvious to the person willing to look that he did make it. He sent Jesus to explain why. God's big plan is to live forever in love and joy with those who are willing to trust him by faith. And so the question is, today, friend, is this. Will you? Will you? 
Will you trust what the scriptures teach? That every single person has sinned. That no one is perfect. The wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Of all the questions swirling in the minds of humanity right now, this is the one that matters most. If you are willing to acknowledge that you're a sinner who can't save themselves and ask Jesus to be your savior, the Bible says he will answer you and he will count you righteous because of your faith. Friend, you won't get any better news than that the rest of your life. Our prayer is that you will heed it, that you will respond to it. Praise God. To those who belong to Jesus and to those who don't yet, I say happy resurrection day to all of you. And no matter what bad news may come, may our hope and joy and peace be found in the good news about Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you. I thank you for the account of the resurrection. I thank you for that little line, just as he said. Thank you, God, that causes us to point back, to fix our eyes back, to read carefully the words of Jesus and see all the ways and times that he said exactly what was going to happen. Lord, it pushes us back to even before that. We, We remember that there was the two disciples walking along the road and Jesus came along. They didn't recognize him. And it says that he began to explain to them where he fit into all of the scriptures. And that points us back to the old Testament, to the whole narrative, the the unfolding of your redemption story, the Psalms and the Proverbs and the prophets, all of it is pointing forward to the fact that Jesus was coming. You prophesied God through your prophets in painstaking detail how Jesus would come and what it would look like. And then he came just like you said. He lived perfectly among us. He did all the things that we couldn't do. He walked in humility and yet with great power. He healed the sick and fed the hungry, cast out demons, did so many things in front of so many people that you can't just explain away. And then, a king that powerful, God in the flesh, submits himself to be tortured, to be mocked and beaten, to be crucified, and to die. But then, three days later, just like he said, I thank you, Lord, that Jesus rose from the grave, that the stone rolled away, that the tomb is empty today, and that because of that, no matter what other bad news may come, we'll never get news worse than the fact that each one of us deserves eternal death because of sin. There is no news worse than that, which means we will never get better news than the fact that Jesus made a way that we don't have to get what we deserve. That yes, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us. Help us to really see 
the worst news that mankind has ever received and the best news we will ever get and to keep those in their proper place. God, we're getting hit with a lot of bad news right now. And there's a lot of good things. There's promises you've given us that that, that they answer those lesser things that trouble us. But Lord, may we be troubled most by the reality that sin and death are our great enemy. And may we rejoice most completely in the fact that Jesus has conquered those enemies for us. Thank you that by faith we are made sons and daughters. Thank you that you've welcomed us to come humbly and boldly into your throne room, to bring our needs, that you listen, that you care, that you hear. God, I pray for those who belong to you, that they would passionately pursue this opportunity we have. The world is shook. Our eyes are open. God, help us. Help us to speak and live your gospel with such vibrant realness that it gets people that good news while their eyes are open to hear it. While their eyes are open to see it and their ears are open to hear it. And Jesus, I pray for those who have not yet bowed their knee to you. They're shook, God. They're looking around. May they fix their eyes on you. May they come to you in humble acknowledgement of their need to be saved. We love you, dear master. Thank you for all you've done and all you're doing. We trust you. You've proven that you're worthy of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.